0: If I told you that lying comatose for seven hours was the best way to improve learning and to maintain the health of your brain, you would think I'm a bit crazy. Hi, I'm Michael C. Patterson, and this is the MindRamp Podcast. In this series, we are exploring MindRamp's eight cogwheels of brain health. In this episode, we explore a weird state of altered consciousness, better known as sleep. We spend roughly a quarter to a third of our lives in this strange state of semi-consciousness and partial paralysis. Why? The most obvious reason for sleeping is that when we don't sleep, we feel like crap, which should give us a clue that something important is going on. The question, how did you sleep last night, is a significant one. The answer will be a pretty good indication of how well you were prepared to face the day. If you were to ask me how I slept last night, I would probably say, uh, wait a minute, let me check my sleep app. I wouldn't give you my answer until I'd looked at the sleep score I was awarded for the night and checked a number of other parameters. I recognize that behavior is a bit weird and obsessive. Can't I just tell whether I had a good night's sleep without checking a computer? Well, yes and no. I mean, of course, I I have a sense of how well I slept, but I become a sleep device geek. There are all these hidden subtleties of sleep that would remain secrets without the help of a monitoring device. For example, how many hours of sleep did I really get last night? How do you figure this out? Well, what time did you go to bed? What time did you wake up? Simple math. I usually get into bed around 10.30 and I'm asleep by 11 o'clock. So I'll start counting at 11 o'clock. I usually wake up at 6 or 6.30, so that's, and I still have to count this off on my fingers. Um, you don't count 11, so you go 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 o'clock. That makes seven, finger, uh, seven hours. Bravo. That was my goal. I want to sleep seven hours a night. Now, most sleep experts advise that we get between six and eight hours of sleep per night. Less than six is generally insufficient, and more than eight hours in bed is a sign that something is wrong. So I've programmed my sleep app to know that my goal is seven hours per night. But the question of the hour is, did I really get seven hours of sleep? I was in bed for more than seven hours, but how much of that time was I actually asleep? Some nights I get up as often as three times to shuffle into the bathroom. Some nights I wake up and have trouble getting back to sleep, or on other nights I seem to toss and turn and never really fall into a deep sleep. Somehow or other, the watch device on my wrist recognizes when I am asleep and when I'm awake, or in other stages of sleep. One startling fact about most people's sleep habits is that we all wake up a hundred times a night. The sleep report on my phone indicates waking periods with little red lines, and there are dozens and dozens of them spread out across the seven hours. The red lines are longer for the times when I actually get out of bed and go to the bathroom or something like that, or when I toss and turn and can't get back to sleep. Well, it turns out that on average, I am awake for a total of about an hour each night. The key lesson is that if I want to get seven hours of sleep per night, I need to be in bed thinking I'm sleeping for at least eight hours. Being awake for an hour each night seems like a lot, but apparently I'm doing quite well for men my age who who can be awake for as much as 33% of the time they are in bed. I'm 72, by the way. So I must be doing some things right, which is comforting because I'm consciously working on this sleep cogwheel. The science has convinced me that a good night's sleep is essential to my health and well-being. It will affect how I feel tomorrow and also whether I remain healthy and mentally sharp for the long term. Bad sleep habits could increase my risk of getting dementia somewhere down the road, and I don't want that to happen. One of the things I'm doing right is keeping regular sleep hours. I almost always, like I said, go to bed at 10.30 and almost always get up by 6 and not later than 6.30. Sleep cycles are very hooked into the natural rhythms of our body and to the rhythms of night and day. The cycles work better when they are regular and stable, or we feel weird when we fly across time zones, largely because our sleep cycles get all messed up. There are other little sleep hygiene kind of things that I do to facilitate a good night's sleep. I live in Los Angeles, and like most big cities, there's a lot of ambient light, even at night. So it's hard to get my bedroom really dark. So I've taken to wearing a sleep mask. Our eyes interpret light as being daytime, which makes sense. We're supposed to be awake when it is light and sleep when it's dark. So the sleep mask helps my brain recognize that it's time to sleep. Oh, and during those midnight trips to the bathroom, keep it dark. Don't turn on the overhead fluorescent bulb or whatever. Your brain will think it's morning and time to get up. Start brewing the coffee. Use nightlights if necessary so that you can get to the toilet without bumping into the furniture. When Speaking of those nocturnal trips to the john, to minimize the number of trips I need to take at night, I try not to consume too much liquid in the hours before bedtime especially no alcohol. To tell the truth, I haven't figured out why I can sleep through the night on some nights and on other nights. I make trips to the John every two hours. I know that I can't really drink coffee in the afternoon or evenings anymore. The caffeine makes my legs feel jittery and that makes it hard for me to get to sleep. What else? Um, It's summer, so I have the fan running to cool down the bedroom. It's easier to sleep in a comfortably cool room, and the fan acts as a kind of white noise machine that makes it easier to block out noises from the city and the upstairs neighbor. When I remember to turn it on, I also have a humidifier to keep my nasal passages from drying out, getting crusty, making it harder for me to breathe at night. This is important, Because when our noses become congested, we start to breathe through our mouths, which is unhealthy. Evolution designed our noses and nasal passages to clean and prepare the air we breathe before sending it down to our lungs. If we breathe through our mouths, we circumvent this filtration process and we inhale whatever toxins, soot, smoke, pollutants, you know, whatever it is that's in the air, which is yucky and compromises the health of our lungs. Now, that's bad enough, but there are further dangers associated with mouth breathing at night. Breathing through your mouth contributes to snoring, which contributes to conditions in your mouth that lead to obstructive sleep apnea. With apneas, your tongue falls back into your throat and obstructs the airflow, essentially choking you. People with apnea are repeatedly starved of oxygen, which means their brains are starved of oxygen. That's not a good thing. Some people apparently go so far as to tape their mouths shut to prevent mouth breathing, with good results. You know, if you want to learn more about the wonders of breathing properly and the dangers of breathing improperly, I highly recommend the book Breathe by James Nestor. Right now you're saying to yourself, I think I know how to breathe. You know, I don't need a book to tell me about it. Well, think again. It's really illuminating. Why do we sleep? Almost every animal on earth spends some time asleep, so it must have some purpose. But what? It seems like such a waste of time. Instead of sleeping, we could be binge-watching Game of Thrones for the third time or, or catching up on all the social media posts we missed. We could be reading all those books we want to read or writing the great American novel. But no, we spend a third of our lives in this altered state of consciousness midway between wakefulness and coma, getting absolutely nothing done. And it's dangerous. When we stop being vigilant about monitoring the outside world, we leave ourselves open to being attacked by hungry wolves or or being kidnapped by the gremlins that hide under our beds. You didn't know about those gremlins, did you? So what's so important about sleep? In broad terms, sleep is when we shift our focus from the outside world and redirect our focus inward to our internal milieu. Our senses are dimmed, we close our eyes to shut out our connection with the visible world, and we try to find peace and quiet so that our hearing is not engaged with interpreting the sounds of the world. Our body becomes partially paralyzed so that we don't have to invest mental or physical resources in movement and action. For the most part, our conscious mind shuts down, giving our unconscious mind the space to do its thing. Sleep is time to stop worrying about others and to focus on ourselves. Sleep is selfish time. So what are the healthy and positive things we do for ourselves during sleep? To my way of thinking, this science points to four important ways that sleep benefits our brains. During sleep, our brains, our body brains, number one, organize and consolidate what has been learned, two, repair damage, three, restore homeostatic balance, and four, remove garbage. These important functions are performed during different phases of our sleep cycle. This is where the Sleep app gets to be really fun and really useful. It does more than just tell me how long I sleep. It also tells me how long I have spent in each of the stages of sleep. My Sleep Monitor app breaks the sleep stages into four categories. One is awake time. Two, light sleep three, deep sleep, and four, REM sleep, R-E-M sleep. The really important stages are deep sleep and REM sleep. We seem to have no problem getting enough light sleep, so the real challenge is getting enough REM and deep sleep. Let's start with REM sleep. Rapid eye movement sleep, R-E-M, rapid eye movement Scientists used to think the brain was resting and relatively inactive when asleep. But then, sleep researchers noticed that at certain times, the eyes of sleeping people were darting about behind closed eyelids as though watching a complex visual scene, hence the name rapid eye movement stage. During REM sleep, the brain is highly active and the body is mostly paralyzed. REM sleep has been called paradoxical sleep, because of the combination of high mental activity coupled with physical paralysis. The focus of mental activity seems to be on the content and not on converting the content into an actual physical response. The active body is, intriguingly, taken out of the picture. It is thought that REM sleep is when we do most of our dreaming. When dreaming, our mind is Replaying a kind of randomized mosaic of impressions and visual images that the eyes track as best they can, even though the events are taking place inside our mind, not in the outside world. Action within dreams is imagined movement, not actual movement. To my mind, the best explanation for dreaming is that the mind, during REM sleep, is sorting through the impressions of the day, including past memories that have been evoked by the pulse of daily activities. The purpose of this process is to sort the wheat from the chaff to decide which impressions are valuable and should be retained, or on the other hand, which are trite and can be forgotten. In other words, dreaming is when memories are either consolidated and retained for later use, or are discarded. The dreams play out like bizarre narratives because the conscious part of our minds, perhaps the left hemisphere is dominant here, the conscious part of our minds feels compelled to connect random dots, to find patterns, and to make sense of things even when no sense exists. So the logic-making part of our mind strings together the random images and turns them into a narrative that, of course, makes little sense in and of itself. Dream interpretation is useful in the same way that a, a Rorschach test is useful. Both use meaningless stimuli to reveal what's on our mind. The random inkblot evokes images and thoughts, as does the random mosaic of images being processed for memory consolidation while we're dreaming. The first period of REM sleep usually occurs about 80 to 90 minutes after falling asleep and lasts for only 10 minutes. During successive REM stages, however, the length of time in REM sleep increases and the final REM sleep of the night may last up to an hour. REM sleep dominates the early morning hours, while most deep sleep happens in the beginning of your night's sleep. So REM sleep performs the first of our important functions of sleep, the organization and consolidation of what we have learned and experienced during the day. This process, when we become vaguely conscious of it, is the stuff that dreams are made of. Without REM sleep, memory and learning are impaired. Now, according to my sleep app, I get an average of about an hour and a half of REM sleep, In other words, a little less than a quarter of my total sleep time is devoted to REM sleep. Now, this is pretty good, apparently. On average, at least according to my sleep app, men my age spend between a low of 12% and a high of 22% of time in REM sleep. So I'm right on the higher level for men my age. Deep sleep. The other important stage of sleep is deep sleep. As the name implies, when in deep sleep, we are farthest away from being awake, the most removed from conscious awareness of the outside world. Deep sleep is also known as slow-wave sleep or delta sleep. Slow-wave sleep is predominant in the early part of nighttime sleep, as I mentioned, and diminishes in length and intensity as the night wears on. Slow-wave sleep or deep sleep is characterized by slow, high-amplitude EEG oscillations, hence the name slow-wave sleep. If aroused from these stages of deep sleep, we feel disoriented for a few minutes. Now, according to my sleep app, I spend an average of 16% of my sleep time in deep sleep. Well, how does that compare to men my age? the average range for men my age at 72 in the 70s is between 6 and 12%. So again, I'm doing pretty well on this metric. I get an average of 16%, which is good things in in, in terms of my personal quest for qual longevity, my quest to live long and live well, because it's during deep sleep that the other major benefits of sleep seem to occur. During deep sleep, the brain... One, does damage repair, two, restores homeostatic balance, and three, removes garbage. Let me say a a few words about each of these three benefits. Damage repair. The brain and body have a whole range of built-in repair systems, which apparently do most of their work during deep sleep. It is thought that during deep sleep, the body repairs and regenerates tissues, builds bone and muscle, and may even strengthen the immune system. One can imagine that these repair and rejuvenation functions require a fair amount of energy that, when we're awake, is being used for other pressing needs. It's possible that during deep sleep, when the body is paralyzed and the conscious mind is put at a distance, that the majority of our energy reserves finally get focused on these vital repair functions. Obviously, if we don't get enough sleep, particularly deep sleep, repairs don't get done and vital functions start to break down. Not good. I wonder if deep meditation has the same effect. Does meditation put us in the same kind of peaceful mental state that requires little or no energy, thereby allowing the brain to do the needed repair jobs? I don't know. The second important thing that happens during deep sleep is the restoration of homeostasis within the brain. That's balance. When the mind is awake and active, there's a lot of activation of neurons and glial cells. Brain cells communicate with each other by sending packets of neurotransmitters across the synaptic gaps between the cells. Many of these chemicals get reabsorbed, but many are stranded in the territory between the brain cells. So to prepare for the coming day, those chemicals need to be pulled back and put in their proper place. This kind of balancing of chemical distribution apparently takes place during deep sleep. So if you don't get enough deep sleep, your neurons may not be properly armed with neurotransmitters for the next day, which might be the cause for a sluggish mind. It's only in the last few years that researchers have figured out how the brain gets rid of the metabolic waste material that builds up during each day. The lymphatic system does this job for the rest of the body, but the lymphatic system doesn't service the brain. Well, it turns out that during deep sleep, the brain expands slightly to create fluid pathways between the brain cells. Glial cells in particular contract to create more space for the flow of cerebral fluids. The increased flow of liquids sweeps up accumulated gunk and delivers it to the body's lymphatic system, which eventually... Uh, flushes the gunk out of the body. This brain companion to the lymphatic system has been dubbed the glymphatic system in recognition of the role played by glial cells. I don't need to tell you how important it is to flush useless garbage out of the brain. The primary marker of Alzheimer's disease, for example, is the overabundance of beta-amyloid and tau, the, the plaques and tangles we hear so much about. The more of that garbage that can be flushed out of the brain on a nightly basis, the better off we're going to be. And that process appears to happen during deep sleep. Note that deep sleep is most common during the first half of the sleep cycle, while REM sleep is most common during the last half of the cycle. So you need both deep sleep and REM sleep, which is why it's important to sleep through a full six to eight hour cycle. If you wake up too early, you rob yourself of REM sleep. If you toss and turn for hours before going to sleep, you may be robbing yourself of deep sleep. Your take-home messages. So the take-home message is that sleep is vital to your health and well-being. Specifically, during sleep, the daily damage done to body and brain gets repaired, or as much as is possible. Two, your body and brain are rejuvenated and returned to homeostatic balance. Three, toxic metabolic waste is flushed out of the brain. And four, important memories are consolidated, categorized, and retained in long-term memory. No, no, that's a good night's work if you can get it all done. And you up your chances of getting all of these good things accomplished if you get a good night's sleep. So get between seven to eight hours of sleep, time that you are really sleeping. Keep a regular sleep schedule, go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time every day, even on the weekends. And do whatever you can to make sure that you fall asleep fairly quickly and that you stay asleep through the early morning hours. You want to get your full quota of both REM sleep and deep sleep. No alcohol, caffeine close to bedtime. Keep your bedroom cool, quiet, and dark. Keep the lights off, and when you get up to go to the bathroom, keep them off as well. Use a nightlight. Don't look at computer screens or iPhone screens or TV right before going to sleep. The blue light confuses the brain because it looks like daylight. And now it's time to say goodnight. Sleep tight. Don't let the bedbugs bite. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode gave you some idea of the risks and protections associated with sleep. Sleep is the sixth of MindRamp's eight cogwheels of brain health. If you haven't listened to the previous cogwheel episodes, you might want to circle back and listen to the introductory session. Remember that we promote a combinatorial approach to brain health. Each of the eight cogwheels needs to be working well in order to optimize your ability to live long and to live well. You can, of course, cherry pick the episodes that are most important to you at the moment. We've covered physical exercise, mental stimulation, social engagement, stress management, and diet and nutrition. And now sleep. In the coming weeks, we will complete the series with episodes on medical factors and environmental conditions. By the way, we cover all of the cogwheels in much greater detail in our ebook called Strong Brains, Sharp Minds, which is available for purchase on our website at www.mindramp.org. And you can access all of our podcasts for free on the podcast page of our website. Contact us if you want to work with us to put together your own personalized plan to work on the cogwheels of brain health. And of course, if you're struggling in any way, struggling to get started, to figure out exactly what to do, to overcome obstacles, or to stick with your plan, we can coach you through those difficult times. That's it for now. Stay well, live long, and live well.